That's our, our heart's cry this morning. Teach us to abide in you, to center our lives upon you, to make you the, the very source of our strength, the source of our hope, the source of life, the fountain that overflows in our hearts, Lord, that we may experience your presence at work in us and that it may spill out of us so that others would see Jesus through us. Abide in us by faith, we pray. And it's in the name of Jesus we ask this. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you to our team, Hope, and our team for leading us in a time of worship. That was fantastic. Because today is the fourth Sunday of the month, that means that the kids stay with us. We don't have kids crew today. They get to, uh, they get to be a part of our worship and, and even to be a part of, of this part of our worship as we study the Word together this morning. And we're going to be in the book of Lamentations this morning. You may have to really search to find this one in your Bible, and, and that's okay. There's no shame. I've said this before. I'll say it again. There's no shame in finding the table of contents in the front of the Bible. And if you've got to hunt and peck until you find the book of Lamentations, and you may even ask yourself, what in the world is a lamentation? What, what is that? What, what are we talking about? Well, lament is sort of a lost art that we don't it's not a, a very common part of our culture, the fabric of who we are. I suppose the closest thing that I know to compare a lamentation to or, or lament to would be the idea of the blues, right? So if, you, if you're a fan of blues music, if you, if you know the art form of the blues, the blues is a musical form that is all about, it's, it's all about the, the low moments, kind of the singing about uh, the grief and, and hard times and, and sorrows and, and difficulty. And I'm actually, because I play a little guitar, I don't mean a little guitar, but I play some guitar, right? Uh, that was supposed to be a joke. You're supposed to laugh at that. It's not, a, okay. Because I play guitar, I like blues music. Uh, I, I, you know, I've studied a, a little bit of blues along the way, and, and I'm a fan of, of that. And, and so when we think about blues music, we think about that, the idea of, of lament, lamentations. It's, it's trying to connect with the hardship, the sorrow. Now, in particular, the book of Lamentations is written to speak into a very particular time in the life of the nation of Israel when Judah had been carried away into captivity under the Babylonian conquest. There were waves of Babylonian conquest that took place over a period of time as this, this ruler rose up to be the leader of a nation called Babylon. A ruler named Nebuchadnezzar rose up, and we know from studying history that a successive series of, of, uh, of, of conquests into what we, we would think of today as the Holy Land. In those days, it was the Promised Land or the land of Judah in 605, and then again in 587, and then in 586, Nebuchadnezzar took these waves of people. But ultimately, the city of Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians in 586. And when the city fell, they brought utter destruction and ruin. One of the reasons why the city of Jerusalem fell is because for about 18 months, the Babylonians had laid siege to the city, had surrounded it, and cut it off from all outside resources so that the people in the city slowly over time literally began to, began to starve to death because they didn't have 
resources to feed themselves. And because they didn't have the resources to feed themselves, their army was no match against the might of the Babylonians who built a siege ramp, conquered the city, destroyed its walls, destroyed the temple, carried away its inhabitants, slaughtered and killed others. I mean, just a brutal conquest that the Babylonians wrought on Jerusalem and, and the Judeans who were there, who were a part of the city. And in a series of poetic, sorrowful laments, songs of the blues, if you will, Jeremiah writes in the book of Lamentations to sing about the destruction that had taken place. And although on the surface, the book of Lamentations is a book that is all about brokenness and pain, woven throughout the book itself are glimpses of hope, reminders that God is not done with what he would do. Or as one commentator writes, we see in the book of Lamentations that grace glows in the dark as God shows up in the midst of the darkness and the despair through the writing of Lamentations. Most Bible scholars believe that it was Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, who wrote the book of Lamentations. We don't know that with absolute certainty, but historically, traditionally, Jeremiah is considered to be the the author of Lamentations, which is why often Jeremiah and Lamentations are are sort of companion texts that may be studied together. Because in the book of in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah the prophet is saying, "You guys, this all this really terrible stuff is going to happen if you don't turn back to the Lord." And then in the book of Lamentations, on the other side of that, Jeremiah is is just crying out to God because of his brokenness, but reminding the nation that. God was not finished with them, that his grace would glow in the dark if they would shine the light of, of, of the Lord in the midst of their hopelessness, in the midst of the darkness. And in the very middle of the book of Lamentations is the text that we're going to study today. So it's right in the heart of the, the, the book of Lamentations. And so I've entitled today's message, I've entitled it Good Grief. You remember the character Charlie Brown? If you, if you read the Peanuts comic strips or ever watched the, 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 you know, the different cartoons that come up, it seems like every year around the holidays, you'll get the, the, the one about the, the pumpkin patch or the great pumpkin, and then you, you get the one at Christmas time, right? So Charlie Brown had this sort of this iconic phrase. He would say, good grief. But what we find in the book of Lamentations is a good grief. And what I mean by that is that we find here a picture of how God can show his goodness in the midst of our grief. And so we see a a goodness of a great God that shines in the midst of brokenness and pain. The book of Lamentations is a series of of songs. It's written in prose, sort of a poetic type of form. But the, the chapter, this chapter itself, is actually written in prose. In fact, Lamentations chapter 3, this doesn't all show up in English because it was originally written in Hebrew and of course it's been translated over time. But in the Hebrew language, Lamentations chapter 3 is a series of 66 triplets. And so there are 66 verses that you find in the book of Lamentations as you read through, or Lamentations 3. But those 66 verses are actually 66 triplets and each triplet begins with the same Hebrew consonant. 
So sometimes when I preach, I, I alliterate my sermon points, and I do that to help make things memorable. And sometimes people will, you know, give me a hard time about that, and, and that's I, probably well-deserved because sometimes I work harder than I should to make that work. But I'm trying to be, I'm trying to make it memorable, trying to craft this in such a way that you can hold on to it and you remember. Well, that's exactly what the author of Lamentations has done here in arranging this so that people would hold on to this. Why would he want them to hold on to a song about brokenness and grief? so that they might remember that in the midst of their heartache and their pain, God's grace would shine. God's grace would glow in the dark in their lives. And in fact, there's a phrase that shows up again and again in English. It's actually one word in the Hebrew language. In the Hebrew language, it's the word hesed. But in English, we, we translate it using a couple of different words. We'll call it steadfast love or faithful love or faithful promise. These are all ways that in the English language that Hebrew word hesed is translated. The word hesed is used over 250 times in the Old Testament by the writers of the Old Testament to point to the faithful, steadfast, enduring love of God, the covenant love of God that endures in the midst of even our darkness and our pain. Exodus chapter 34, for example. You don't need to turn there, but just listen to, I think Exodus 34 verses 6 and 7 are a good example of how this word hesed is used. Listen for what I'm going to read to you. Listen for verses 6 and 7, Exodus 34, if you want to write that down. Listen for the words, steadfast love. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, this is passing before Moses, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The steadfast love, the faithfulness. God is abounding in those things, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And so the picture that we have in the Old Testament is of a God who is faithful to his people, faithful to his promise, faithful to the covenant that he had established with them. And even in spite of the brokenness and pain, the people of Israel knew at this point in their story, this point in their collective journey, God is still faithful and his love still shines brightly, his steadfast love. So how do we see that that they respond to this grief, this darkness, this pain. Well, they turn their hearts to the Lord. And not immediately, not, not even necessarily all at once, meaning not every individual one of them, but slowly what we find is over a period of 70 years, there's sort of a groundswell that leads to return and revival. And we read about that in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, which we've already read. If you're following along with our Bible reading plan for the year, we read Ezra and Nehemiah some time ago. But in those books, we find the story of the events that take place after those that we're going to read about today in the book of Lamentations. And so let's, let's read together Lamentations chapter 3. Now, we're, going to, no, we're not going to read the, the, the whole thing, not all 66 verses. We are going to start sort of in the middle of the chapter in verse 22 and read through verse 33. And I want you to see this picture of God's grace and his goodness that is sandwiched amongst all of these other descriptions of the brokenness and the pain and the heartache that they were experiencing as a consequence of their sin. Lamentations 3 verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord, there it is again, the Hebrew word hesed, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. 
His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust that there may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. And so here, in, in the midst of the darkness, we see these rays of hope springing forth. This little bit of light that is beginning to shine through the fissures of the brokenness in the hearts of the people of Israel. And it's through those cracks that the light of God's love begins to shine through so that they might hope in him in his steadfast love. There are four lessons that I think we can learn from, from this, 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 hopeful, this hopeful song of heartache that we find in Lamentations 3. So out of the hope of this song of heartache, this, this song of the blues, I want us to see the four important lessons this morning. The first lesson, and again, all of these, all of these, if I can say this, are sort of built on this foundational, presuppositional idea of the steadfast love of the Lord. So everything that we're going to, if you want to think of it this way, sort of as a, a metaphor of sorts, that if we're going to construct these four walls together, that, that, that build our faith, right? That we can rest our faith upon that. Well, all of that sets atop the foundation of God's steadfast love that we see in Lamentations chapter three. So the first lesson is this, is that the Lord is present in our pain. The Lord is present in our pain. Verse 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And then the next phrase, his mercies never come to an end. What this verse teaches us is that God's love for you is limitless. There is no end to his love. And see, it is so important that you understand this, that the Lord loves you perfectly. He loves you in a way that is steadfast, in a way that is faithful, in a way that will never end. And because God loves you Though you may experience darkness and heartache and sorrow and pain, he is there with you in the midst of your pain. Have you ever gone through a really difficult time, a really difficult dark season in life, and, and perhaps there was someone, maybe it was a group of people or maybe just someone who didn't try to tell you what you should do, who didn't try to solve all of the problems and, and the heartache for you, but just who was just close in the midst of that. They would, they would spend time with you. They would sit with you. They, would just, they were available to you. Again, not trying to fix, not trying to explain away all the things, but just to, just to be there in the midst. If you've ever experienced a dark and difficult time and you've experienced the comfort that comes through someone remaining close to you in the midst of your heartache and pain, then you know this, you know the power of, of, of this, the power of presence. When someone is present in the midst of the pain, 
Well, the good news here is that the one who's present with us in our pain ultimately is what the Bible describes as the the friend who's closer than a brother, the one who remains close, the father to the fatherless, the one who knows all of our problems and knows them intimately and perfectly well, the same one who knows the number of hairs on our head, who loves us, who created us, who sustains us, is present with us. See, it would be enough for us if God would just give us his peace in the midst of hardship, wouldn't it? It would be enough for us if somehow God would just fill our hearts. But he doesn't just give us peace. He gives us his presence. And where the presence of God is, the peace of God reigns. And so it's powerful that we understand that God is present with us in our pain. He sits with us, if you will. He stands with us. He's there beside us so that we don't have to walk through difficulty alone because God is present with us in our pain. What, a, what an incredible truth. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It's important that you understand that there's nothing you can do to make God love you more than he already does. That's an incredible truth. There's, there's nothing that you can do to, because his love for you is perfect. It doesn't need added to, it doesn't need built upon somehow. His love for you is already perfect. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more than he does. So many people labor under the idea that I've got just a little bit more. If I could just give a little bit more, if I could try just a little bit, if I could, if there's this one character defect and if I could just fix this, if I could, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And here's, here's the companion to that truth that's also important. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more. There's nothing that you can do that's going to make him love you less either. I've said before that if you could lose your salvation, you would. Because you can't be perfect. You won't be perfect. There's, you're, you're going to mess up along the way. Praise God you don't have to be perfect. Praise God that he became, he became perfect, the, the perfect sacrifice on our behalf. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 tells us that he made him who knew no sin to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. He became what we couldn't so that he might do what we couldn't, so that we could experience the freedom of his forgiveness. The Lord is present in our pain. I don't know anyone who has a life that's free from pain. I know everyone who wishes that their life was free from pain, right? No one wants pain. No one wishes for pain, but everyone experiences it. Now, in different ways, it takes different forms to different degrees, but we all experience pain. And this reality reminds us, this lesson teaches us that God is present in the midst of our pain. Second lesson that we learn from Lamentations 3 here of the good grief is the Lord is sovereign over our sufferings. When we think about God being present with us in our pain, what a comforting, what a powerful truth that is. But if you dwell on that long, you begin to think, well, okay, but if if God is present with me in my pain, that means the Lord knows about this. The Lord knew about this. God saw this coming. If I understand who he is, if I understand his power, then that means that I'm in this situation and God had the power to prevent this. Or or it, it leads us down the road of questioning, am I in this situation? So is God the 
Is God the source then of my pain? Is God the one who's, who's brought this pain upon me? Well, the answer is a little bit complicated, right? Because on the one hand, we, we should not, we cannot look at every pain and every difficulty in life and say, oh yeah, the Lord did that. Not every hardship that you will endure is delivered at the hand of God. And yet sometimes hardships do come at the hand of God. In the book of Lamentations, for example, as Jeremiah writes about the brokenness and the pain that Judah were experiencing here, the tribe of Judah, the people of God, what we see is that God was actually the one who raised up Babylon to visit disaster upon Judah. And so the, everything that Babylon and the Babylonians were able to do was because God raised them up to bring such pain and destruction on his people from, from uh, generations of sin and unfaithfulness. So unless we, unless we try to just be too dismissive and say, oh, no, no, the pain isn't there, God didn't cause the pain, stark reality that we see in the Bible is sometimes the pain is there because the God has, has brought the pain. But even when the Lord isn't the one who, who brings the pain, if we understand his sovereign power, if we understand his ultimate authority, then we have to ask the question, well, then couldn't God have stopped this? I mean, if God is powerful over everything, couldn't he have stopped this hardship? Couldn't he have stopped this difficulty? Is God, is God allowing me to go through this? These are real life, serious questions. Aren't you grateful that the Bible engages with those questions, first of all? For anyone who would say, oh, well, the, the Bible doesn't matter. The Bible, I can't relate to the Bible. I can't. It's important that we, that, we, that we stare into the scriptures and we study the Bible and we learn that these speak to very present realities. What we see is that a God who uses suffering, who uses pain to show his love and his mercy to us. We would never know the power of God's mercy, the power of his healing grace. We would never know. And so God in his, in his supreme and infinite goodness, God has determined, a loving God has determined that his glory shines better through our pain than if he was just to hand everything to us in a way that would be, that would be uh, the proverbial silver platter, right? That God, for reasons that I can't pretend to, to fully explain and understand and that you couldn't either. But this, this powerful, good, loving God has chosen to show his grace and his mercy through hardship in a way that's more glorious. But all of that is meant to draw us in. Sadly, there are so many who walk through hardship and they allow the hardship to push them away. They lean, they lean away from God rather than leaning into him. What we see in Lamentations is this, this cry that we would look to God in the midst of our pain, that we would lean into him in the midst of our hardship, knowing that he's present with us, that he's sovereign even over our suffering, which means that if he's allowed it, even if he's not the one who, who visited the pain upon us, so to speak, but if he's allowed it to take place, then, then there's a purpose that, that he can use for his glory in our lives, even through our hardship. I'll just stop there and confess, that's a hard truth to sit with. That's a hard truth to confront. Because what we want is we want a God who just gives us what we want. 
What we want is a God who will do what we think he should do and that everything is good all the time. And good, in that sense, is as we would define it, according to what I want, according to what I think is best, according to my definition and my understanding. And instead, what we have is a God who sees beyond the little bit that we know and the little bit that we understand and comprehend and is working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 tells us. He's sovereign even over our suffering. The third lesson that we see here in Lamentations 3 is the Lord waits when we wonder. The Lord waits when we wonder. In the the great hymn of faith, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, that we sing, written by a guy named Isaac Watts. You may or may not know the name Isaac Watts. He writes this hymn, and there's a, a phrase in the hymn that, that I'm drawn to. It's my favorite part of the hymn that we sing, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. It's an, it's a, it's an admission. It's a recognition. God, my heart is prone to wonder from you. My heart is easily led astray. God, I'm so easily deceived and, 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 and captured by the wrong things. It's an admission that we chase after the wrong things. And yet, also a confession. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Lord, I want you to be the Lord of my life, even though I'm prone to wonder. Well, what we learn from Lamentations 3 is that the Lord waits when we wonder. Look at verse 25. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait. It is good. The Lord waits, and it's good for us to wait. The Lord waits on us when we wonder. And the lesson that we learn is it's good for us then to, to, to wait, to be patient, to let things come to their fruition, to allow God to work according to his sovereign plan, his, his will for our lives, to make something beautiful out of the mess. God is patient with us. And I'm so grateful for God's patience in my life. There are so many times that that I would have, I, I make a mess of things all the time, but there are so many times I would have made a far worse mess of things if God had worked according to my agenda and my timeline. But praise God, he doesn't. He works according to what he sees and what he knows is best. And sometimes God answers our prayers simply by saying no, <laughs> no. And every parent knows that it's good to tell their children no at times because Children ask for things that they don't need. They ask for things that are not good. They ask for things that would bring ruin or hardship or worse pain in their lives. And so a loving parent will learn to say no to their children. A loving parent will also say, not yet. No, it's, the time's not right. Just wait, just wait. And sometimes that's the way God answers our prayers too. We cry out to him. We ask for him to work. We beg him to move. Sometimes God's answer is, it's just not time yet. I'm still working. I'm still moving. I'm still growing. I'm still, I'm, I'm still bringing about the thing that I'm doing in your heart and your life. So it's good for us to wait because God waits on us. 
Are you, in, in every marriage, there's, there's a spouse that, that is waiting on the other at times, right? And in some marriages, there's one spouse who's always waiting on the other one, right? That's just the way that it works. Are you the, we all have to learn to wait. Tries our patience when we, when we have to wait. I'm not going to tell you which one it is in our marriage, so quit thinking about it, right? I could see the wheels turning. It's both of us, truth be known. We don't like to wait. Sometimes we get really frustrated. It may have happened to some of you this morning. Getting ready for church, everybody's getting dressed, somebody's sitting in the car waiting. Where are they at? They're always there. We don't like to wait, right? Praise God. His timing is always perfect in our lives. He's willing to wait because he knows that what he's bringing about is worth the wait. It's worth the wait. That the end that he ultimately wants to accomplish in us is worth the wait. If we will wait on him, and he waits on us when we wonder, when our hearts stray, when we wander away, when we puff our chest and we try to tell Almighty God, no, no, God, I want this. This, would, this is the way it ought to be done. God patiently and lovingly waits, and he brings about things for a way that is good. His grace glows in the dark. Finally, we learn the lesson from Lamentations 3, that the Lord saves us from our sin. He saves us from our sin. And this, perhaps of all these lessons, is the ultimate lesson. Yes, God is present in the pain. Yes, God is sovereign over the suffering. Praise the Lord, he, he waits when we wonder. But all of that is pointing us to his salvation. All of this matters because God is able to save. He's mighty to save. He's able to save us from our sin. Verse 26, it's good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. What are we waiting on? We're waiting for God's salvation. Now, understand that in the context here, okay? This isn't saying that when you pray and confess your, your sins to the Lord and you ask Jesus to come in your life and, and, and save you from your sin, that now you just have to wait for him to do that. No, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Or that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The Bible is clear about that. And so the, the timing, don't get caught up in, in thinking that, that, that I'm saying somehow that we just, well, we got to wait. No. But when the writer of Lamentations, if it's, if it's Jeremiah or whomever it may have been, when, when the writer of Lamentations here points to this and says it's good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord, what he's saying is we need to be reminded that God isn't finished, that he's working, that he's got a plan, that he's doing something. And even if we don't see it, we can trust him. Even if we don't feel it, we can lean into him. We can, we can, we can trust in his goodness. We can trust in his power to save us from our sin. There's hope even in the midst of our darkness. Because the one who promised is going to be faithful to complete the work that he began in us. The Lord saves us from our sin. Verse 31, the Lord will not cast off forever. Verse 32, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion. According to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. God's desire is to use even our hardships to show us 
the picture of his abundant mercy, his steadfast love, his rich goodness made available to us through faith in Jesus. In fact, in Ephesians, in the book of Ephesians, let me, let me just read a few verses for you in the book of Ephesians. And you can, again, make note of this that you might turn back there later. Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to this picture of God's goodness, his abundant love. I'm going to read from Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. The Lord saves us from our sin when we turn to him in faith. God is faithful. In fact, one of the ways that the word hesed, the steadfast love, one of the ways that it's translated into English is the faithful love. And in, the, in our hymn books, if you were to take uh, a hymn book, there's a hymn that we sing sometimes, and we don't sing it from the hymn book very often, but I'm going to read it to you from the hymn book today. This is hymn 54, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And so if you want to grab one of these white books, you can read. If not, then, then you may know the words well, and, and you don't need someone to read them to you. But listen to these words of this song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, the faithful love of God. Great is Thy Faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions. They fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. The next verse we read. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature and manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth, Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies. There it is. Lamentations 3, right? Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed. Thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Praise God for his faithful love to us. That he loves us even when we were sinners. That he reached out to us and made his love known through the work of Jesus on the cross where he suffered and died to pay the price for our sin. That we might be forgiven and set free so that we can have his presence in the midst of our pain, so that we can trust in his sovereignty over our suffering so that we might know with absolute certainty that he's there when we wander away, ready to forgive, and he's able to save us from our sin. Great is his faithfulness. In a moment, we're going to move into a time of invitation, a time of response. 
If God is speaking to you today, he's moving in your heart and your life, I would encourage you that you would respond in obedience to him. Perhaps for some, the way that the Lord is speaking to you and calling for you to respond today is to surrender your life to Jesus. Maybe there's never been a moment when you've trusted in him for the forgiveness of your sin. When you've called on him as Savior and Lord, there's never been that time when you have said, Lord Jesus, I confess you as Lord and Savior of my life. If you're ready to trust him by faith today, even while we sing, we would encourage you to step out and come. Staff will be here at the front. We'd love to pray with you, to just lead you in a simple prayer of faith that you might trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, confess him as Lord and Savior of your life as you look to him, as you trust him for salvation. Let's pray together. I want to invite you to bow your heads with me in this moment of prayer. And even as I pray aloud, I would encourage you just to be praying there in the in the quietness of your own heart, asking God to speak, asking him to move in your life today. Lord, we are grateful that you are present in our pain. You are sovereign over our suffering. With great patience, you wait while we wonder, ready to forgive, ready to bestow your faithful love to us. And most of all, God, that you are you're mighty to save, that you can save us from our sin when we turn to you. Lord, my prayer is that if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you by faith, has never trusted you for forgiveness, confess you as Lord and Savior, that this might be the day, this might be the moment that they would look to you, Jesus, trusting in you. You are that cornerstone, Lord. You are the, the one who is the, the, the cornerstone that that our lives may rest upon you on that foundation of your steadfast love. Even as we sing about your goodness today, draw our hearts to trust you. If there's anyone here today that's walking through a season of difficulty and pain, Lord, draw, their, draw them close as, as they trust in you, as they, as they look to you in the midst of their pain. Be present and use even their hardship as a means of showing the power of your love and your mercy. May your grace glow in the dark in our lives, God.